Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. In 24 years of service, I've never seen anything like this. And I love my job. I love the New South Wales Police Force. It's a great organisation to work for. But in this case, they dropped the ball. Uh, This guy we know by the name of Mercury, he got away with murder twice. The haunting case of the disappearance of three-year-old Cheryl Grimmer 
1970 has gripped listeners around the world due to the extraordinary BBC Sounds podcast, Fairy Meadow. And our guest for this episode is a big part of that podcast, which is written and produced by John Kay. Our guest is Frank Sanvitale, now retired from the New South Wales Police. And Frank has moved the wheels of justice further for Cheryl's shattered family than had ever been done in the more than 50 years since she disappeared on that fateful hot day on Fairy Meadow Beach in Wollongong. And if you haven't already, listen to our episode with Ricky Nash, Cheryl's big brother, who was seven years old at the time she went missing and heartbreakingly has never stopped blaming himself for what happened to her. In 2016, Frank, then a detective, was teamed up with Detective Sergeant Damien Loon, who we've also spoken to for a separate episode, and the pair set about looking into this long, cold case, combing over boxes of evidence that had been in storage for years. Frank has commented in the past that he'll never forget when Damien said to him, the person who murdered Cheryl will be somewhere in these boxes. It was a confession made in 1971 by a then 17-year-old that was found in one of these dusty boxes and set in motion events that would see that person, who we can only identify as Mercury, charged with Cheryl's murder in 2017. Frank and Damien knew that in the confession, there were details only the person responsible for Cheryl's abduction would know. But nothing had ever been done with the confession before Frank and Damien's investigation, with the police in 1971 deciding not to charge the youth. Tracking down Mercury had been dismissed by previous investigators as being too hard. In fact, in the 2011 inquest into Cheryl's disappearance, this confession was fleetingly mentioned and also mentioned was that 25 investigators had been unable to locate him. It took Frank and his partner Damien just three hours. But as you'll know from the podcast Fairy Meadow and from our episodes with Ricky Nash and Damien Loon, the case against Mercury fell apart because the trial judge applied a retrospective law on the confession and would not allow it as evidence. The collapse of the case against Mercury was the breaking point for Frank, who left the police soon after. He says Cheryl haunts his dreams and that he knows with every bone in his body they had the man responsible for Cheryl's abduction and murder and he wants to see him face court. A listener warning. There's some distressing content discussed in this episode. Ricky's sort of we've we've talked through the the steps yep. here and and we're aware that, you know, absolutely protocol was followed, the protocol of the day. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Was followed exactly. to the letter. Nothing inappropriate happened in terms of uh, you know the way the statement was taken um, and, and the letter of the law was followed, the letter of the law of the day. Um, and you can't blame the police. They no. did the right thing. As soon as you start incriminating yeah. himself, in that confession, they gave him a caution. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. They cautioned him as soon as he started incriminating himself. Even if there was an adult there, not, not, nothing was going to change that day. He was still going to say, what he's gonna, what he said to uh, Parrington and, and Finlay. Yeah. Uh, and and they did it by the book. There's no, there's there's nothing corrupt about it. There's mm. no issues about it. That's, that's, that's what's so only... frustrating about it, right, Frank? And so now, all these years later, the the whole thing has has been thrown out of court because retrospectively, it the judges decided that 
he doesn't like the way that that confession has been taken because today you would never be able to interview a minor that way under those circumstances. What fascinates me though is I, I can't believe the DPP agreed and advised the detectives to to press charges if that was all they felt they had. Because when once the judge said it was inadmissible, that confession, then the DPP said, oh, well, that's all we got. It's over. Is that accurate? That's correct. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't privy to that. I wasn't at the court when they uh, – because uh, I was off duty then. So, you, so uh, you've seen the brief, you, the brief of evidence. I, yeah, I, I helped to put you, it together, yeah. Yeah, you put it together. So what do you, what do you reckon? What else, I mean, do you reckon there's enough else? Obviously you do. I do. Uh, I believe we, uh, I think uh, the Attorney General Mark Speakman uh, aired, uh, um, heard when he uh, it didn't go ahead with the appeal hmm. and that's covered by a number of reporters too. They, they reckon he should have had a bit more you know, uh, go at it. and Because uh, it's not easy to get the DPP to agree, is it? I mean, that's a no. huge part of a homicide detective's job and world. Putting together a brief of evidence is such a huge part of your life because getting the the public prosecutor to agree to press charges, murder charges, is really difficult. And and so you're not going to put one piece of evidence in a folder and say, this is what we got. Well, when we put the brief together before we went down to arrest him, uh, we showed it to them and said, this is what we got. And yeah. they gave us the green light. So... I'm not a I'm not a crown prosecutor. I, I'm a detective, senior constable at the time, and I thought we had enough. Even we talked about it. If that confession didn't make it, it was going to make it a little bit harder. But I thought we still had enough to to, to go ahead. Mm. Uh, you got to remember too, uh, it's very hard to get a, a conviction these days. Uh, it's all about the defendants, uh, and the criminals. Uh, Poor Cheryl. Nobody talks about Cheryl. Yeah. Nobody talked about Cheryl what she went through the last couple of hours of her life. Uh, where Cheryl's rights in all this too. It was hard. Uh, you, you're talking about a, a case now which is uh, 52 years old uh, to, to this year. Uh, we were looking at something of 50 years, years ago. Many people passed away trying to find witnesses. But you did. You, you mm. found witnesses who moved back yeah. to England. You found people who were sitting on that beach 50 years earlier. It's, it's astounding, year. the work you did. It's, but it, it, it went to coroner's court. They had, a, they had an inquest. She went missing. They did, in, uh, they did the search. He confesses in, 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 in what was it, April, whatever it was again. Yeah, 14 uh, months later. Yeah, yeah, 14 months back. They actually do a walkthrough. They actually, they interview him, that yeah. they confession. Then the next day they do a walkthrough. With nothing filmed, nothing, uh, no photos taken. Christ's sake, you're taking a, a, a kid, a, a, I don't call him a kid, he, he knew what he was doing, mm. uh, for a murder of a three-year-old girl, you're taking him through a walkthrough, he shows you exactly where, he, what he did, where he sat, mm. where he, he left the body, what he did to her, where he burnt the uh, costume, where he, he threw the towel down the airport uh, service station in the that's gutter. That's right, that's mm. right, he did. He showed them where he threw the towel and they never but even the number one, went looking sorry, for Sorry, the it. number one thing was the bubbler. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. saw a kid lift him up and lift, a, uh, lift Cheryl up at the bubbler. Very important. And then that's it. It goes back into a box. 
nothing's done after that. Uh, Parrington had another murder up in um, Broken Hill. Nothing done after that till I, well, what they say it was an investigation in 2008. Uh, they re sort of reinvestigated an uh, officer by the name of Romley. Now, I spoke to this officer, he's not in the job anymore. He said, I've never investigated. All I did was basically read the, uh, it was for an assignment for his detective's designation. But they still go to the coroner's inquest and they say they reinvestigated, which is absolutely not true. But in 2011, they go to the inquest and they say they can't find the author of the confession. Yeah. They couldn't find Mercury. And there was another one, they, a couple of others they couldn't find. We found him in a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in that afternoon when we, uh, I always remember when Damien, uh, detectives, uh, Damien Luna, um, found the confession in one of those boxes. When, when I got the brief, well, we uh, got all the boxes from the archives. We divided up four boxes each. And Damien was sitting on one side of the room, I was sitting on the other. And we, we ever found something interesting, we hold it up, eh, Damien, yeah. like that. And I remember one day he held up, they said, hey, there's a confession here. Unbelievable. Okay. Uh, and it blew me away. Uh, and I always remember Damien said to me, have a look at that. And he was pointing a water bubble. He saw him lifting up a water bubble. Very important. He mentioned that he yeah. saw a boy lifting the little girl up to drink water from a water bubbler. That was part of his confession. And why was That's that so significant to you? Because... When Parrington and uh, was investigating the the case, never spoke to Ricky. They uh, never asked Ricky what happened on that day. He, he was only he was eight years old, but you still could talk to a kid. And they say Ricky was never interviewed until 2016 with Detective Sergeant Damien Loon. We took a statement from him just before we arrested Murphy down in uh, unreal. Down, I can't believe that uh, first police to in interview the man by that stage who was the last person sort of we know of to have seen Cheryl yeah. alive. Ricky didn't know there was a confession. We never showed him. No. He never knew what was on that confession. Ricky says to us, I lifted Cheryl up at that water bubble. Now, how do you make up a story like that if it's not true? He <laughs> describes, Mercury describes a, a costume what he, where, where people were. Everything he told us in that we verified. The only thing we didn't know was where exact spot where Cheryl was taken. And when we spoke to, uh, we actually took Ricky and the brothers for a walkthrough around the uh, Three Meadow Beach in 2016. Mm. And then we understood. And they gave. We never showed them the confession. And it matched what Mercury said in his confession. Because we were worried about, Mercury said something in the confession where he took the Cheryl, uh, grabbed her. And we always thought it was on the, or according to the uh, some of the records that uh, uh, he took Cheryl on the um, on the beach side of the uh, uh, sheds, but in his statement he said he took her on the other side and that on the roadside of the shed. And when we got that from um, when we took the walkthrough of the brothers, that was confirmed. He said, "Yeah, this is where I last saw her, and that's where she was, and that's and that again." Right. Uh, confirms what uh, Mercury said. Because famously, of course, Ricky uh, last saw Cheryl when she was inside the ladies' sheds and that's why he felt he couldn't go in there because he's a good boy and he didn't want to go in the ladies'. Um, so correct. what do you think happened? Do you think when he went running down to get mum, Cheryl actually did come out 
following and that's when this man grabbed her? Yeah, uh, we believe the uh, shell came out. The, she was between the pavilion, surf pavilion and the and the uh, dressing sheds or the showers and toilets mm. and he grabbed her in. I know exact spot where they grabbed her, uh, uh, just between the two sheds. Okay, so what I don't understand for a single second is I understand homicide detectives are very, very busy. They're covering the entire state and all of that. But you've got this confession and I understand he's a troubled youth and he's he's a bit weird and so and he's 17 so that's that's hard to believe and the detectives are thinking to themselves oh we think he's just he's just a freak he's just a weirdo he's a fantasist in their words however why did they not firstly go and ask interview Ricky secondly look in the drain to see if the towel was there mm. while they were there with him doing a walkthrough like it seems like so many really like easy things weren't done. An afternoon's work, quick, easy things weren't done before they dismissed well, well, it. They did go in the drain. They did okay. look for the uh, the uh, the town. But we're talking about sixteen months later. Oh yeah, you're uh, right. I forget that. You're right. I think it's that. the next day. We're talking about sixteen months later. Yeah. Uh, he talks about this costume. He he was going to keep the costume. And then he panicked. He said, Mum might find it. He was going to put it in his drawer. Right. And uh, in the confession, Parrington asked, uh, well, why didn't you keep the figures? I was worried Mum would find it. A lot of people keep uh, as trophies. And even Parrington said, did you want to have sexual gratification from holding her costume? Yeah. Uh, and remember, we're talking about a three-year-old kitty. Yeah. Um, and you got to remember where he left that. Then he describes uh, the gate. He describes where uh, there's a grid there. Police talked to the uh, the owner of the farm. He was very old, mm. uh, a bit not with it. That's what comes from the from the uh, the son and the and the, and the um, daughter in law. Mm. We spoke to them. Uh, it was a dredge farm. Uh, they, Mr. Dredge Turner, Fred, uh, and the son says, "I built that. I built that uh, fence. I built that uh, grid uh, with Lysart's uh, rails." And, and, and so we confirmed all that. Yeah. He talks about uh, then he leaves. Goes up to Sydney. Finally, he makes his way to West Australia. He does change his surname. That's another thing. He changed his surname. Uh, again, he, he says, oh, "I changed my surname uh, because I hated my father." Uh, he did. He didn't like his father, but uh, I still believe he changed his surname to get away from Cheryl's murder. Distance himself. Um, yeah. Were there any sightings uh, that you found that that matched up as well with his confession? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, where he left the remains, uh, a lady rings up three or four days later and saw crows in that area. Uh, there was four, five turpentine trees. Uh, this is coming from the the uh, uh, the, uh, the son and the daughter-in-law mm. of the father. There were five turpentine trees where he left the body. And I asked them, did you ever go down this? And no, we didn't have to. The cows would go underneath these trees when it was hot. Mm. And the cows knew when they come in. We never, that gate, we never went down there. Uh, because the cows knew when the milking time was come, they come up themselves. Yeah. And you got to remember, those days there was no housing, nothing around there. There was wild pigs, there was foxes. The three-year-old girl's body wasn't going to last long there. Mm, yeah. Any sightings though around the beach that correlated with uh, the confession? Harrington, when he did his investigation, relied on one with so Peter Goodyear. Uh, Goodyear makes a and he comes forward about seven days after Cheryl goes missing. So it was already sort of, okay. He says he saw a uh, Mediterranean male with um, orange costume and a felt hat grab a kid. you got to remember, 
that afternoon, the Southerly Buster came through. Southerly Buster in the afternoons in the east coast of Australia, you'll get storms coming through in the afternoon. Uh, it's a really hot day. You get the uh, rain. It comes up, wind and that, and then uh, it probably stays for a couple of minutes, and then the sun comes out again. We call them southerly busters. comes from the south. So that came through. Everybody's running away from, from the beach because it, it was a hot day. Everybody's running from the beach. People getting in cars, grabbing their kids, and, and that's what. So, so it was chaos. It was chaos, yeah. And Peter Goodyear comes forward and says, I saw this kid, I believe to be Cheryl, uh, uh, being grabbed by a man and taken in the car, and that's and it was a Holden, uh, a, a Holden sedan. So Parrington puts all his eggs in one basket uh, and starts concentrating on a car. Nobody's thinking about a young, uh, uh, a young kid grabbing uh, Cheryl or walking down down to a, a farm. Everybody's looking for a car. Yeah. Mm. And was that it? was, uh, and uh, and they put a lot of trust on the Peter uh, Goodyear's uh, statement. Mm. A couple of days later, Peter Goodyear rings up the uh, the police and says, "I found, I know, I've seen the guy that took Cheryl's uh, in a bar." Oh. Police go down there, and it wasn't him. And the way Peter Goodyear was acting, they started saying, okay, we, we, his, his evidence, it comes into... Question. In question, yeah. And he said uh, they had to be worried about what he said. Uh, but again, there was nothing. They still continued in that line of uh, investigation. Because his evidence was widely reported at the time in old newspaper articles. Peter Goodyear was, like, quoted. You know, that seemed to yeah. be the authoritative citing. Yeah, uh, they put a lot, a lot of uh, uh, work and a lot of uh, resources into in that in that uh, witness statement. You lived in Wollongong at the time, is that correct? That's correct. I was a, uh, I think I was eleven years old at the time, oh, or whatever it was. You were little. Yeah, I was only. I mean, but I remember uh, it was it was a big thing in Wollongong. Uh, that must have been terrifying a for a little boy. More for my parents than yeah. <laughs> me. Uh, uh, they were worried. Uh, yeah, you know, I'd go down to Port Kemble Beach, which is another beach down south, and uh, we used to walk there. Yeah, it's a long walk. And my brother and I used to go down there. I used to go by myself, and that was stopped. Uh, yeah. Things did change. Uh, we, we grew up a little bit in this area now. Then uh, yeah, it did change things, yes. And what do you remember sort of happening in the years after that? Was it – because now, I was saying to Ricky earlier, now – I. I think of photos, or that photo of Cheryl as, unfortunately, she's one of those children in Australia that pops up every couple of years with the Beaumonts, with, you know, yeah. those children that haunt us as a community. But you in that smaller community, uh, what was it like in the weeks and months and years after this happened? What's your recollection well, of that? It kept popping up every now because the police put something on the media. Mm. Uh, Especially missing person week, uh, they'll put Cheryl up there quite often, mm. uh, with together with other uh, other uh, missing people. But uh, then it just, you know, we're talking fifty years and time. People forget. Uh, Were you a policeman there in Wollongong when you started? No. Oh. No, I, uh, no, I, uh, I was the late starter. Uh, I uh, was a milliner just by trade at BHP. Oh, wow. And then I had my own gym for uh, 10 years, yeah, right. then I became a police officer, <laughs> 16, uh, 24 years uh, as uh, 
16 years as a detective. So had you ever um, thought about the case much before it was handed to you after your, your heart attack and you came back to work? No. Really? Um, no, I knew it was there. We knew about hmm. Cheryl because uh, I knew the inquest to happen. Uh, you know, I knew there was an inquest. I, I didn't know much about the case until I, I, I we started going through the files because I knew uh, other people in my office uh, did uh, investigate the uh, or went to uh, inquest with it. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, until I started going actually through it, I remember the sergeant um, uh, put the case on my desk. It was only a couple of pages, mm-hmm. and I and I went to archives and they sent the eight boxes and it's all run, typing sheets, all the old. Uh, was typewriter, yeah. and um, and that's when I started looking at it and started thinking, oh, okay. So when did you but, get uh, this passion? When when did it become this this thing, this huge thing in your life to the extent that you were dreaming of Cheryl reaching out the, to you? I tell you now, this started when we started contacting. Them. I remember Damien rang up. We said there's so much to go through. We had to put everything on what we on Eagle Eye. This is something that they never did when the uh, coroner's uh, inquest happened. Mm. We put everything on Eagle Eye. Eagle Eye is software, a, your uh, computer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have serious crimes, murders, yeah, mm. uh, serious uh, crimes are put on. Uh, it's not the normal run of the uh, cops, uh, run of the mill stuff. Mm. Um, took a while. Then we said, we better contact the family and tell them this, this is happening. And then when we found the, uh, the, uh, the confession, and, and I remember Damien ringing up uh, Ricky. I think Ricky was in the car at the time. Mm. And uh, he said, hey, uh, we're investigating this. Uh, and, and we mentioned the confession. And uh, my God, uh, they never knew about it. So that took me, you're, you're kidding, aren't you? Uh, it's 40 something years, nearly 50 years. And the parents that Vince uh, or John Vincent uh, Grimmer and Carol Grimmer, the parents went to their, their, their they died without knowing somebody confessed it. Yeah. That's why I came and I said, geez, put yourself in their position. Mm. Please uh, have a confession. You're not told them. That's your kid. Yeah. You're talking about a three-year-old little kid. But that was your baby mm. and they didn't tell you. How would you feel? That's when I started. I said, this is not right. This is not right. They go to uh, an inquest and, oh, we can't find the author or they can't find this Mercury uh, 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 who confessed to the murder. Mm. We find him a couple of hours later. That that got me going again. How, hold on, how can we find this guy now? Um, and Ricky said it was brushed over, wasn't it, Frank? At the inquest, he said there was a mention of a confession, brushed over, not interrogated. Exactly. Uh, the coroner, and again, I, I wrote a if I was a magistrate and somebody, a police officer presented a confession to you and they said they can't find the author, I would have said to them, go back and investigate or show me a death certificate mm. and uh, go back and have a look at this character. Uh, how can you just brush over a confession? Like, uh, uh, and they're looking at all these other suspects. There's no evidence of they, some of them not even been at the, at the, uh, at the beach. This guy tells you, he describes the water bubbler. Uh, where Ricky's picked her, picked her up, tells about where he's where he's on that beach, where uh, he he left the body. He, he just he said there's a white towel, the white towel because they all have white towels at the hostel. Uh, that's what they had. Can um, you give us some context, Frank, or some perspective on this? Because obviously Emily and I and most of our listeners have never touch wood, luckily, mm. ever lived through a murder investigation. 
Like, it seems like this family's been let down so many times over decades by so many people and institutions. In your experience, is this extraordinary? Like, have you ever seen anything like this in your life? No, never. 24 years of policing yeah. or nearly 24 years of policing, I've never seen it. And that's my passion. Uh, you are just asked me what, 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 you know, why are you so passionate about this case? Yeah. Uh, and I think you, if you took a lot of senior detectives, there was always one case that really uh, stands out in their in their career. Yeah. Um, but this one here, kiss me going because of the injustice what happened to that family. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. arrested uh, Mercury for the first time. I was walking to Wollongong Police Station um, uh, and I had a folder and I never realised it, but on the front of the folders and I had murder of Cheryl Grimmer. And I remember one of the family, one of the wives of the brothers ran out crying. First time she ever saw that. Yeah, she'd never seen that. Yeah, it came to realisation. So we, we, we spoke to Ricky. We said, listen, we're investigating this murder and took them by shock. He rings up the brothers and, and things starts moving. We started investigating Mercury and we talked to his ex-wife that was left him for certain reasons. And uh, she says to him, police want to talk to you. I gave her my business card. I never expected her to give me, give Mercury my business card. Mm. One weekend I was at my in-laws having lunch. As I think Saturday or Sunday, I get a phone call from Mercury. Caught me off guard, mm. he said, and he said to me, my ex-wife tells me you want to speak to us. I said, yes. He said, what's it about? I said, you tell me. He said, is it about a young kid at Ferry Beach? No way. And this is in my state, okay? And uh, and I'm thinking, okay, he's talking to me now on the phone. 
is this going to be admissible? Is it going to be another one here? Is it going to be another argument? Mm. So I let him talk. I said, yeah, it could be. And then he says to me, I regret every day of my life what I did. And then I said to him, being a police officer, I knew I, I was going to listen. I said, listen, I think you should be seeking. And then we're going to come down and talk to you. I didn't want to talk to him over the phone mm. because it's going to be... It's got to be argued about what's he, what he, I could put anything on there. If I, if, if, I know what the, uh, no. I know what the uh, defence will say. Because are, are you meant to caution him at this stage? Like, is that what you're about to do, or like, what are you? I was going to caution him, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I said, well, listen, we've got to come down. Let's do it proper. Mm-hmm. We've got to come down, and uh, I advise you to get legal. And I said, well, I'll let you know when we come down. Mm-hmm. Then the tech, a couple of days later, Detective Sergeant Moon. Uh, Rings him up. We go by. Everything's done by the book. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, we're coming down on such and such a date. We strongly advise you uh, that uh, to get a th- uh, to get a uh, solicitor or legal aid, whatever, some legal advice, because we're going to come down to talk to you about the, um, uh, the disappearance of Cheryl Grimmer. So um, we go down there. The day before that, we first time we interview Ricky. Uh, so Ricky says to us what he did that day, that's when the water bubbler comes down. And then we tell Ricky that's part of his confession. Uh, he never knew that. The next day we go there, he shows up by himself. Uh, no, <gasps> no, no solicitor, no nothing. Again, oh. sick, okay. So he knows, he knows we're going to talk to him about a murder. He shows up, no solicitor. We give him the rights, the custody manager, we Follow everything. We talk to the uh, prosecutors down there. This is what we're doing. Yeah, no worries. Everything's covered. We start the interview, all electronically in here, all above board, and we show him the thing. He says, is this your statement? He says, yes, I, I, that's my statement. Will you, are you willing to sign every page? He signs every page. By signing, it doesn't mean that he's agreeing to what's in, in that statement, but he says, yeah, I gave that statement. Okay, that's really significant. So... Yeah, it's by signing okay. the statement, he's just saying, yes, I agree I said this, but I'm not yeah. necessarily agreeing that I still exactly. reckon it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm, not, I'm, saying, I'm not saying what's in that is true, what I said. Okay. okay. Basically saying, yeah, I, I gave that statement. Okay. That's, uh, is that your signature at the bottom of each page? Yes, it is. Okay. So he signs it all. So we start going through the questions. He goes all the questions until he gets to question 13 and... Then he says, and Detective Finlay will tell you, when he, when he gave that confession, he never hesitated. He showed mm. no signs of mental health or anything like that, just the normal No signs flow of duress, of, yeah. No, nah, no. Nah. Even, even the way you can see it's written, there's no stopping or no, you know, usually have dots or something in the, in the way they type things. So that's the way we do it. If, if somebody's stop, pause, you put pause. There's no pausing. He gave it out. And again, even if there's an adult there, that would have been the same thing. So we go through all the questions, and and I remember, oh, I remember when, when we first started. I asked him why. We asked why haven't you got a legal representative? I just want to get it off my chest. That's what he said. And then we go through these questions. As soon as we get to the main question, where he says to us, uh, and where he goes on about what he did to Cheryl, he says, "I was never there." And uh, Damien uh, asked him, what do you mean that you're never there? I've never been to Fran Meadow Beach. Not that he wasn't there on that day. He's never, never been to Fran Meadow Beach. 
And, he's and we go for every question. It's 80 something questions there. Every one of them, he says, I'm never, and that's all his answer was, I'm never there, never there, never there, never been to Fermento Beach. At the end of the, at the end of the, <laughs> he looked at us and said, what's going to happen now? And we said, you've got to be charged with murder, Cheryl Grimmer. Um, how can you not be there when you're given such a detailed statement? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about the, the costume, the way it's shaped, the, what you did, uh, the, the, the water bubbler, that's how it's so significant. Uh, you describe where you left her. You tell us where you dropped, uh, you put the towel, uh, the whole lot. And then you say you're never there. Uh, so that was And I mean, for one thing, we know he was there for the walkthrough. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. He actually took him through, showed them where he took Cheryl. Yeah. Uh, where where we believe he says he, a man was sitting on the on the on the uh, on the um, bench there. Yeah. That was Peter Goodyear. We believe oh, that's Peter Goodyear. Right. And uh, everything he said to us, and then he says, even in the confession, he says he went uh, to Sydney after that, spoke uh, to a family member, which we we spoke to uh, the daughter because the mum's got dementia now, but mm. um, the daughter remembers uh, uh, Mercury. Mm. They were they were um, they were ten pound poms. They came over. They were. Both families at the hostel. His family. And uh, they knew each other. Yeah. Oh, right. But yeah. they, call, they call her auntie because yeah. just a friend, but they call her auntie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, everything he said to us, he also mentioned about a uh, a, a, a motorbike accident because uh, he mentioned that in his, uh, uh, when he's talking to Parrington. And uh, and we even confirmed that, that Damien and I went to um, Bookwood Cemetery mm. and we actually found the person's grave that he was talking to. Mm. One thing he says in his confession, and this is where I believe uh, this uh, links him to the ransom note. He says he took it to Bulli Pass. He was not familiar with the area. He was not familiar with the names of the area. No. So he believed when he was going up to, if you, if you know the area, when you get up to uh, Balgani where he left the uh, uh, Cheryl, mm. there's, a, there's, a, there's a road called Broker's Road. It's a very steep road. A lot of the locals will know it. It's near a primary school now. At the time, it was just farmland. There was no, nothing there. He says, I took it to Bulli Pass. Uh, that's what he believed. Yes, when the I ransom note was yeah. sent to Bulli, Bulli Police Station. So that's what I believe also. Three things that link him, the confession to, and the friends. Police never spoke to his friends. Even in the, in the uh, confession, he says, uh, who do you live with? Oh, Waverley, with, two, with a couple of friends. We went by the house. We couldn't find these people anymore after we're talking about 50 years. We know where the house is. Damien and I uh, drove by the house. We, we, we saw him, but we could not contact the, he, he couldn't find the friends. You got to remember too, when Damien and I were investigating this, we were also handling other cases. Mm. Homicide, never, never involved. Um, from the last time homicide was involved is when Parrington put it, put it away and that was it. Um, we never got any assistance from homicide. Uh, all the media reports were saying, oh, there was a joint effort between Wollongong and homicide. That, that's not true. Um, and it's hard for me to say that because I, I love the police force, okay? Yeah. And I, they do a great job, but this one here, uh, and even now, I don't know what's happening, uh, why none of his work colleagues, none of Mercury's colleagues have been spoken to. I found out lately that he spoke to somebody and told them he used to steal cars and take it down to Fremantle Beach. 
this is new. This is something that the police, yeah. You've got a a witness statement to that effect, don't you, from that? I've got a source statement, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's nothing more heartbreaking than an old copper who's left the job over a case, over... I can't do it anymore. Yeah, Mm. over dissatisfaction, you know, um, over the way a case has been handled. It's just, it's it's heartbreaking because they're inevitably the most passionate, driven coppers like you. It's just getting hard. If you have a look at the Evidence Act, you, what, what things you can introduce into court, they just make it so hard. We, we, I think we've gone stupid in Australia. Really, if this is what our community wants, if this is what Australians want, uh, this guy's confessed, he told us he's never there. How much more evidence do you want? Uh, yeah. uh, it, 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 it's all about the criminal. Nobody's in any courthouse has talked about poor Cheryl. I was just going to say, that girl went you, through? well, would you mind... To the extent that you think it's um, reasonable, do you feel comfortable talking about his confession and and what he says happened um, after he took Cheryl? And I mean, do you feel co- comfortable personally talking about it? He, Harrington uh, asked asked Mercury, "Why did you take Cheryl?" Mm. And he wanted to have sexual intercourse with her. Uh, that's clear. He makes that quite clear. He, he um, so he takes her from the beach. He goes into a drain. Uh, he, he ties her up with uh, shoelaces. Did he walk her? Did they... He walked and carried her. Yeah, right. And people say oh, I was a long distance, but you got to remember those days they walked everywhere. They yeah. didn't have a lot of people didn't have cars. So walking was the way things were done. And you talk to uh, Carol Grimmer, the mother says Cheryl was a very friendly girl, um, and would. Talk to anybody. It was a happy-go-lucky uh, uh, little girl. And as you say, being grabbed, the weather change, a lot of people probably were walking away from the beach because everyone walked to the beach, and so. A lot of especially people. at the hostel, because the hostel had hundreds of people there, and and you know just down, you know, it's just a couple hundred meters from the beach, mm. uh, and that's why we couldn't say when Mercury says, "I've never been to the beach." That's that's absolute bullshit. So this paddock um, area then was it not far from the beach where where he went? It was it was near the main road. There was a, a railway station. There's a railway line there. So he stops there for a couple. Of, I don't forget how many minutes he says in his confession, and then continues taking her up to where he goes with the farm. He he says, um, "Yeah, I go through this uh, the wide fence, the one he describes very. He uh, gives a lot of description about that, and the the um, and there's a creek bed." He talks about a creek bend, and that's there. I've, I've been there, I, I, and the trees are there. The, uh, that's confirmed by the uh, the Dredge family. He says, I took the gag out of my mouth because oh. I was going to have sex with her then. And he says, uh, I was going to have sex first. She started screaming. I panicked. I put my hands around her neck, and I strangled her. She stopped moving. And Parrington asked, did you bury her? I said, no, I just left her with some leaves on, put some leaves and that on top of her. Uh, she was naked at the time. She was lying on her back. Uh, he left the shoelaces there, still had a, a tied up the shoelaces. Uh, and remember, he was a he was a pommy. Uh, a lot of those times in those days, everybody had shoes and shoelaces. Uh, a handkerchief, they had hankies. I, I always remember uh, when he first showed up at Wollongong Court, he was on video link. And he had to sneeze and he pulled down his hanky and, 
And because a lot of people don't have hankies these days, he's still got his hanky. And I said, there's the hanky. Mm. Ah, that's me anyway. No, but I agree the, with you. Uh, yeah, it's only men of a certain age and a certain mm. background have hankies. In those days, yeah. everybody had shoelaces, shoes, you know, that, yeah. the way we, the socks and you name mm. it. Uh, so he leaves her there naked. He takes the white towel, which is the, uh, all, the, all the people at the hostel have white towels, takes a blue, oh, blue costume. There's another thing that showed up at court. He said, uh, while he was in the Metropolitan um, uh, Children's Centre, he says to one of the counsellors, oh, I'm, I'm sorry I murdered a, uh, he murdered a uh, officer with a blue shirt. Mm. I still, <laughs> and this was brought up in court. Oh, he has illusional. Cheryl's, Cheryl, Cheryl's uh, costume was blue. I still believe what he said there was uh, he was guilty. He was, he's thinking about it. He said he, he, his conscience got to it yeah. finally and just said, and I believe that was Cheryl. Yeah. He takes the towel. He was going to keep the costume. Paradin asked him, but what you said to Paradin, I was going to keep the costume. But I was worried about mum finding it in the drawer. And Paradin said, you got it, will you? You don't want to get sexual, sexual gratification from that. So he, he drops the costume in the airport. So the airport service station is still there. It's today, it was a mobile, now it's called, they've gone back to Ampol now. It's still there. Uh, and it's still Ampol. Uh, and he went to Coromel Beach where they, uh, uh, they had those old uh, tins, uh, um, 22-gallon drums they used to have on the beach, and, and he burnt the costume. Actually, he said, I burnt the costume. Um, but how he describes the beach, then he goes through the walkthrough. He shows them exactly what the... When he goes up to where Cheryl was missing, the name, and this, we're talking 16 months later, and it was only, it was only about eight months or 10 months off his uh, 18th birthday. He's 17 years old. He's not a, to me, he's not a kid. 17 year old people I've killed before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll find that anyway. Um, the landscape has changed because they were developing the area and everything's changed. He couldn't exactly show them where. And I don't believe Cheryl was there. When I saw, when I heard the thing about the crows, mm. wild pigs up there, and I've spoken to me. I lived there all my life. I know what was up there. I, I, I've lived in this area all my life. And Prairie Meadow and Balgani is an area where there's a lot of it. I'm from Italian back, uh, descent. There's a lot of Italians up there. And I knew a lot of people that lived in that area. And I'll tell you, there's wild pigs. You know, wild pigs eat the bones, everything. Yeah. Um, so... That's what happened there. Yeah. I mean, you know, where to from here? I mean, disappointingly, the Attorney-General had a moment, New South Wales Attorney-General, where he could have reversed. He still can. Yeah, he still still can. can, But he he had a moment where he was looking at it, looking at reversing the the decision. And I I understand what you're saying. The Attorney-General can still... Kill the case, but I don't know. I don't know where we're going to go through this. And his reasoning, um, as described in the BBC podcast, Barry Meadow, was that he did not believe that it could withstand a, a trial. Is that correct? Or there was very little chance of success. Is that why he wouldn't reverse the decision? That's what he said, yeah. yeah. That's, That's annoying. Isn't it? It's like, well, instead of mind reading, let's just have a go. Mm. Like, instead yeah. of guessing what you think will probably happen. Let's just do it. Ricky, uh, Ricky and I always said if we went to court and we lost it in front of a jury or something, so be it. Yeah. Uh, 
like not even getting that we we haven't even gone to trial. This was that was a pre-trial thing, just on the YD on the uh, mm. on the uh, admissibility of that confession. Yeah, uh, you what? know uh, when when somebody gives, he, this guy's got away with murder twice, uh, and to, to give a confession like that, and then so he's never there. There must be a point where we say, hey, hold on, public interest. Mm. Uh, this should go to this confession should be admissible. Mm. It's so weird. If we're sentencing retrospectively, you know, we're going to sentence you for a crime that you committed in 1970 at what it would have been in 1970. You'd get a long one if it was 1970. Then can't we use the confession that you made that was taken legally in 1970? You know? Yeah, yeah, I know. It shits me, you can, Frank. You can, you can yeah. <laughs> it does. It, does, anger, it seems yeah. weird. Yeah, totally. Frank, what was your? As much as you're able to say, I want to say, what was your? What was your copper read on Mercury? What was your instinct? And also, when you saw that confession, I mean, your blood must have just run cold. I don't know. Or, you, like, what was your read on him? Uh, strange bloke. Calm. Um, uh, he. Uh, I, I think he's more cunning than he shows. Um, I always believed he was going to confess, but because it's a three-year-old girl, at some stage, at that instant, he said, I, I can't do this. If it was an older woman, I think he would have. Mm. Uh, that's my gut feeling, okay? Um, he, even when I sat with him in the plane, he was just uh, very quiet. He's uh, strange, uh, mental. I wouldn't say he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say he, he, he's, maybe he was a security guard, a you know, supervisor. He's had a normal life. He's had, you know, he had a marriage breakup. Uh, I only met him that day. We uh, basically arrested him and brought him up there, so I wasn't with him too long. But uh, he's a quiet man and uh, nothing really uh, stood out. He doesn't stand out in the crowd. But mm. uh, every day, sort of Joe Blow, I suppose. Must have been weird to meet him, though, after all that time, you know, seeing the confession oh. and investigating and um, Ricky described it, you know, as hiding in plain sight, which I guess is true of a lot of, offend- of, of oh, yeah. offenders. offenders, sure. yeah. yeah. And you remember, yeah, yeah, he vanished uh, after the, the confession and not long after that he went to West Australia where we we, we, uh, we knew he went because we uh, he went um, and then he got arrested in West Australia too. Uh, he ended up down, in, down south. Uh, he became a taxi driver around the... Uh, airport area mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, Victoria Police should be looking at a few things down there too mm-hmm. anyway uh, so basically that's it uh, right. so you can see my anger uh, yeah. you can understand and why I can't let things go but I, I'm getting to a point where I have to because I'm worried I'll have another heart attack well, that's <laughs> it. yeah absolutely I mean it's 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 crook but at some point um, you married Frank I am, yeah. No oh, kids. What does your missus reckon? Is she saying, Frank, let it go? Yeah, she said, enough's enough. Yep. She said, uh, today he actually said, uh, I was stressing out about this uh, interview. Oh, mate. Uh, oh, mate. Don't say that. No, I, I, I was stressing out because this is the first time I've spoken out about the police force. Uh, oh. I, I reckon the, uh, especially the homicide unit has grossly neglected uh, yeah. uh, this family. they they got questions to it. And every time you ask a police officer about this case, uh, oh, we, we won't. They don't go into the details because 
I believe they 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 really don't want this to come out in the public. We will definitely uh, give them a ring and give them the opportunity to to comment. Um, good luck with that. Of course, but you know we'll definitely give them the chance. And I think you have made it very abundantly clear your affection mm. for the service and and how you know heartbreaking it is for you to to speak out negatively oh. in any way. The New South Wales Police Force is probably one of the best in, in the world, but yeah. this one here, they dropped the ball big time. Yeah. And I think people should, uh, the inquest was, and the coroner, the DPP, all these uh, people that investigated it, they owned a big apology to the family. Thank you to our guest, Frank Sambatale. If you haven't already, make sure you listen to the excellent BBC podcast, Fairy Meadow. Ricky Nash is pleading with the New South Wales Attorney-General Mark Speakman to reverse his decision not to intervene to force the prosecution of the man he believes murdered his sister. The Attorney-General still has the power to bring Mercury before the courts again. There's information in our show notes on how to contact Mr Speakman to let him know your thoughts. There is also a $1 million reward from New South Wales Police for information about Cheryl's abduction and murder. Thank you to the following patrons, Trisha Briffer, Simone Kendall, Mark D, Stevie Shikia, Sarah Munro and Sally Dowd. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. 